Bonjour et bienvenue. You are listening to You Are So French, Success Stories à la Française. The podcast talking about success stories of French people in Australia. I am Aurélie, I'm from France and I've been living in Melbourne for many years. Since my beginnings down under, I've always been passionate about hearing the stories of my fellow French who found their place, their mission or their purpose so far away from their homeland. I always have so many questions to ask them. Did they have a dream when they moved to Australia? Or did their aspiration develop with their life here? And really, how did they make it happen? Our guest will share what it means to undertake a project out of their comfort zone, the cultural differences they faced, and how being French in Australia has been a bonus, or perhaps sometimes a challenge, in their endeavors. I invite you to follow inspiring journeys into different fields, entrepreneurship, personal development, relationship, or career, to name only a few. While everyone has his own definition of success and ways to reach it, courage, determination, confidence, and intuition seem to always be part of the recipe, the achievement of something positive. This is what success stories mean here and what we will discuss, with passion, honesty, and of course, a bit of an accent, in three words, à la française. In this first episode of 2022, we meet with Laure Legros, who reinvented her career to align with her commitment to the environment and her action to fight climate crisis. Laure tells us how her dedication to the climate issue has also reshaped her perspective of the expat life as a French in Australia. We recorded this episode at the end of 2021 between Melbourne and Bondi in Sydney. We acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eroa Nation. And we pay our respect to the elders, past, present and emerging. Bonjour, Laure. Bonjour. Thank you for being part of You Are So French. You are my fourth guest. And today I was really looking forward to our conversation because through your story, we will discuss a very important topic, which is the climate crisis. And I'm very happy that this podcast can also be a way to spread such an important message. But before getting into this topic, can you please tell us a bit about your background and yourself? So where are you from? When and why you did move to Australia? And how did you start your adventure down under? So my name is Laure. I've been living in Australia for 10 years, but I grew up in Paris. I arrived uh, for an internship and spent most of my time in, in Sydney. And today I work for a startup in the nonprofit sector called Work for Climate. We run programs for employees who want to take action on climate at work specifically. And I'm also involved in another nonprofit uh, from France called Climate Fresk. So I'm the country lead for Climate Fresk in Australia. And our mission is to raise awareness about climate change through an interactive and collaborative workshop. I'm also a mom of a two and a half year old little boy and my husband is also French though we met in Australia. Like I said, I arrived in, in Australia in 2010. I was doing an international exchange program in Canada and it was my first international experience. I was looking for internship in English speaking countries and applied for an events intern internship at the French Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry. 
So got the job and told my parents that instead of coming back home for summer, I would go to Australia instead. Uh, so I arrived in Bondi as a backpacker and I didn't think that I'd still be there 10 years later, but here I am. Yeah, still living, still living in Bondi and uh, loving life in Australia. You studied your career in Australia, but then you made a shift a few years ago. So can you please explain us your professional journey? Why did you decide to change your career field and how did you make it happen? I started my professional career in online marketing. Uh, so my first job was uh, for an online travel website. They needed a French person to do their marketing. So I was very fortunate to be able to find this first job. And that was my entry in the Australian job market. So I did digital advertising for about eight years. Uh, learning to run advertising campaigns on Google and Facebook and doing display advertising. I moved a few times between companies until I landed my dream job at my dream company at the time, which was Google. So I was at Google for three years before I decided to pivot and work on climate. So I quit my job in order to find my place in the climate movement. That happened uh, last year. And since then, I've been kind of experimenting between a few different projects to, to find my place. So it was really a decision made because I felt the urgency of the climate problem and I wanted to do more. And I found that my, my job wasn't necessarily aligned with my values and what I wanted to be working on. I left and it's been an amazing journey since then. So one year of obviously doing things that were totally different from what I was doing before and learning a lot, kind of challenging myself every day and completely switching my focus from digital to, to climate. It's been a long but interesting journey so far. And how did you find the process of moving completely from one field to another and the reaction of people around you? And if you notice any differences in the approach of changing a career field, whether you are in Australia or discussing it with Australian people or French people? Yeah, so for me, the process was quite radical. So Obviously, there's so many ways to change your career. I decided that I needed a sort of a clean approach to it. I, I didn't want to stay in my job and try to find uh, ways to address the climate crisis within my job. Uh, so I decided that I needed that break. So I quit and didn't really know what I was going to do when I quit. So that's definitely a little bit uh, radical and it worked For me so far, but it came with challenges as well. In terms of the reactions of my friends and family, I would say they are mostly positive. Everyone is is happy for me and they are saying it's great that I was able to make that shift and, and work on something that I cared so deeply about. But I guess I, I'm not sure if they actually understand why I did this. So a lot of people think that I did it because I enjoyed working on climate and that was like a passion project. But the actual reason I left wasn't because I was pursuing a passion project. I left because the scale and the urgency of the problem are so big that I could no longer justify doing anything else. And now that I'm in this problem, Basically, there's no turning back. So I have to do this until it's fixed, which again comes with challenges. Obviously, it's 
feeling like you're starting everything from scratch and, and being outside of your comfort zone and, and working on a topic that can be a little bit heavy sometimes. So it's not always happy days in climate, but it's also super rewarding because there's so much to learn. I've met so many fantastic people along the way. So it's been really a great experience so far. And for people who would want to be involved in fighting climate change in Australia, where would you recommend to start? I would say start by accepting that you will need to question everything you know or you think you know about climate, uh, because the reality is that you don't know. There's always more to learn, as I discovered. So my first advice would be do the research to understand the problem, develop a good, solid understanding of the issue and how everything is interconnected and how it all works as part of a system rather than being a kind of single issue, uh, because that will change you the way that you think about solutions for this problem as well. And that will help you kind of understand your areas of contribution. My second advice would be spending time understanding the different perspectives of, of people who are already in the movement. So the climate movement is super diverse. There's so many ways of contributing and everybody brings something valuable. In Australia specifically, and, and in other countries as well, whenever you start thinking about ways to address climate change, you also have to think about climate justice and, and integrating the, the perspective of um, the people who were there before us and how climate change is also an inequality problem. It's something that I've started uh, investigating myself and I'm still relatively new to the problem but it's fascinating and and definitely something that I would advise getting involved early on if you want to fight the, the climate crisis and then finding what's going to be your role in that movement because again it's very broad the problem is very big and there's so many ways of contributing so you have to find the way that fits your skills and basically your zone of impact or your zone of contribution will be at the intersection of what you enjoy and what you're good at, as well as the, the climate solutions that we need. Talking to as many people as possible is valuable. That's what I did when I started. Trying to connect the climate movement is probably a little bit smaller in Australia than it is in other countries back in Europe, but it's a really awesome community. There's people doing really awesome and important work and and they're always very much willing to to speak to anyone who who wants to get involved when we caught up together a bit before this call you mentioned to me that last year you moved back to france before moving back to australia there are two things here first even though we've been living in australia for a long time and most of us are quite happy with our life here there is always somewhere in our in our mind the desire to perhaps going back one day and and try I think your, your experience doing that will be very interesting to share. And also, I think there is a connection with your commitment and your engagement for fighting the climate change. The journey of coming back to France and then coming back to Australia was a little bit unexpected. We hadn't exactly planned on going to France, but the opportunity presented itself as a, as a professional opportunity on my husband's side. And we decided it was good timing for us. We wanted to reconnect with friends and family after 
for me more than 10 years in Australia. We left Australia the end of 2019, just before the pandemic started. And yeah, not everything went uh, according to plan, obviously, because COVID kind of uh, changed everything for everyone. But for us, it was really a great year. It was a great opportunity to discover France again. For me, I had never actually worked in France uh, before, so that was all new. And it's almost like rediscovering your home country. I had a lot of different expectations in terms of the differences between France and Australia. And I thought that I would miss Australia so much and wouldn't necessarily feel at home in France, but it's almost the opposite that happened. It really felt really, really good to, to be able to spend time with our family and our friends and travel around France and kind of rediscover our own country. But at the same time, we weren't quite ready yet to, to come back permanently. And that wasn't part of the plan originally. Uh, so we always knew we, we wanted to, to come back to Australia. And, and again, because of the pandemic, that meant a lot of logistical challenges. But in the end, uh, we managed to come back and uh, two, two weeks of quarantine uh, with, a, with an 18-month-old baby. That wasn't quite fun, but at least we, we made it. And then what's happening now? How do you feel about settling again in Australia? Coming back to Australia has been really special because, again, it's home for us more than more than friends, and we have most of our friends here. So it's been really fantastic to be able to to come back. But at the same time, it opened up the opportunity for us to consider a new life in France as well. And later down the track, I think that's probably what we'll end up doing just because considering again the climate crisis and being an expat on the other side of the world, it's not unfortunately quite compatible today with living a, a low carbon life and trying to reduce our, our emissions. So it's something that not everybody is, is aware, I guess, but uh, flying is the most carbon intensive way of transportation. And for someone who flies regularly, reducing your emissions from your flight is one of the most impactful things that, that you can do as an individual. And so for me and my family, we're, we're trying to reduce our impact as much as possible. And so I kind of came to that conclusion that unfortunately, it's not going to be possible on the long term to keep uh, maintaining this lifestyle where we live in Australia, but we go back uh, at least once a year for holidays. And also it's not really fair to our family who wants to see our little boy. And if we don't come back to France, then they would have to, to come to Australia, uh, which means also flying for them. We kind of made that decision that at some point in the next couple of years, we will come back and, and settle back in France to kind of complete uh, the, the transition because we're doing a lot already as, as a family to try and reduce our impacts, uh, especially in terms of our carbon footprint. But yeah, there's this one big item on the list that remains uh, that's a flight uh, from France to Australia. Do you consider it as a sacrifice to move back to France, really to align your life with your values and your action? Let's say it's not necessarily the decision that I would have made if I wasn't considering my climate impacts and my carbon footprint to be 
very honest, I would have probably decided to stay in Australia and keep living this lifestyle because, again, we are, let's face it, we're quite fortunate, right? There's not that many people in the world who live in this fantastic country that is Australia. We live by the beach. We have great career opportunities and we live in such a beautiful country. And at the same time, we have this other home country that it, that is also amazing and we get to experience the two. Back a few years ago, I was even considering this lifestyle where I would spend six months in France and then six months in Australia and kind of travel back and forth between the two. That was the dream, right? So I can't really say that uh, if it wasn't for the climate, I I would have made that decision of, of going back to France permanently. But at the same time, it's not a sacrifice either because Again, when I went back to France, I I rediscovered my own country and found that it is actually fantastic to to live in France. And I have all my friends, I have family, and France is also such a beautiful country. I think we tend to kind of forget it when, when we live abroad. And we have so many beautiful regions to visit. There's not that many countries in the world where you can take a train and, and be in another capital and be in a totally different landscape just a few hours away by train. In Australia, if you want to take the train, you end up in the same city or you can take an hour flight and you're still in the same state. Like travel opportunities are a little bit different as well. And I think as French people living our expat lives in Australia, I think we tend to underestimate the the beauty of our own country. When I was living in France, I wasn't traveling to all those European capitals because I thought they're always there. So having the perspective of living in those two countries now, I think it helps kind of reimagining what a really, really good life can look like in France. It's like you you closed the loop, really. You were in Australia, you went back to France, you came back to Australia. And I love that you really also wanted to share this message that France is also amazing. Sometimes, yeah, it takes to go back there, not just for a holiday, but to go back and really live there to understand that. When you move back to Australia, what were the emotions of feeling that you felt that maybe were different from the first time when you arrived to Australia? Did anything change in your relationship to the country, the culture, the people? I think my appreciation for Australia and our lifestyle here hasn't really changed. So every time I come back and I'm really lucky to live by the beach um, in Bondi, So every time I come back and I'm literally in awe of the landscape. So so that hasn't changed. But now that I know that eventually I'll go back to France, I'm trying to really make the most uh, out of this time. I'm not I've never taken taken it for granted, but it's more if that's only going to last for two, three years, I want to make the most out of it. And in terms of the differences, I think we have a really, really close community of friends here because we're all expats. We don't have our families that are close to our our friends are like family. And we've developed relationships that are going to last even, even if we don't live in Australia anymore. Do you have other examples in your everyday life of changes that you have implemented to align your life and your lifestyle with your values and things that everyone could consider doing to participate in fighting the climate change? So from the lens of an individual, the, the 
I guess the first thing to do is uh, understand where your impact comes from. So you can do a carbon footprint calculation and that will give you an idea of where your biggest impact is and, and areas where you can reduce them. So I've personally looked at that quite intensively. And so I have a good idea of where my impact is and I'm working on those methodically and, and trying to assess where I can make those changes. So in terms of the like usual suspects, there's obviously your transport. So flying less and driving less. Your food is super important. So I've reduced my meat and fish consumption drastically. I'm not vegetarian, but I only eat meat very occasionally where I know where it comes from and how it's been sourced. In terms of the kind of low-hanging fruits and things that are relatively easy to implement and have a big impact, you can look at the your investments. So switching banks, uh, switching your superannuation in Australia. That's something that... We tend to forget because it's not super visible, but the money that we put in our superannuation fund, if it's invested in one of the big traditional funds, it's very likely that that money is going to be invested in, in fossil fuels. And so switching to a more ethical fund is something that you can do that will have a positive impact both for the planet and even for your finances, because those better funds are also usually better in terms of their returns. And then there's everything else. So pretty much you look at everything and you look at, okay, how, how can I reduce uh, how, how can I consume less? Uh, because it all comes down to the amount of resources that, that we use up. So consuming less, buying less clothes, buying less stuff in general, asking yourself the question, do I need it? Can I buy it secondhand? Can I reuse something else that I already have? Kind of questioning all those everyday behavior that we just do naturally because that's how our society is built and we get all of these signals that tell us to buy and consume more. But it's kind of questioning that and being like, maybe I don't need all of that stuff. That leads to a lot of questioning and, and eventually it becomes relatively easy to spot those areas where, where you can have a smaller contribution. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask the question, but I guess now indulging in the Frenchies or the occasional champagne drink, it's really not great, right? <laughs> Is it a good idea to ship stuff around the world so we can enjoy the things that we know from our country? Probably not. But then I would put that in perspective of everything else that we do. If you drink champagne from time to time, it's okay. We're never going to be perfect. And I think there's no point at finger pointing and, and saying, oh, like you can't have champagne and you can't eat cheese that comes from France. I think ultimately it's okay if you do it as a sort of special thing. Like if you get your mom to send you a package once a year, it's probably fine. But look at everything else that you're doing. And if you and if you consider that something that you really need, then perhaps you can implement an action somewhere else that will have a, a significant impact. And when it's time to go back to France, then it's another great motivation. To yeah, be able to exactly. But no. at the same time, you know, like when it comes to wine and cheese, you know, we're French and we tend to think that only us can make great wine and great cheese. But the truth is, Australia has fantastic wines and 
There's so many regions in Australia that produce great cheese as well. I've been to Tasmania. The cheese there is fantastic. You can source them locally and it works just as well. Yeah, let's be curious. So this podcast is called Success Story à la Française. What will be your little or big successes during your life in Australia, either in your job, in your commitment to the environment, on a personal level? In terms of the successes, something that I guess I'm quite proud of is just the fact that I managed to build this life in Australia. It wasn't really a given. When I arrived, I was a backpacker on a working holiday visa, had no money, didn't speak English, had no idea what I was going to do. And I remember my dad visited in Australia when I was transitioning to my first job eight, nine years ago. I welcomed him in in my shared house and had him sleep on the floor on a mattress and he would have been like oh my god like what is she doing and then a couple of years later he came back again and this time I was working at Google and I invited him to have lunch in the Google office and I was so proud to showing him the life that I was living and and everything that I was able to accomplish and the fact that I I was on track on a good career earning good money I had made it basically being able to show him that compared to the first time that he visited and I was a backpacker and he had to sleep on the floor that was that was quite a proud moment and then also building a family so I met my husband here even though he's from France we had a wonderful little boy that's probably one of my biggest successes in life I would say those moments have been really fantastic and I'm always going to be grateful to to Australia for giving me those moments Well, we wish you to have many more, either here or in France. So you shared already what's next for you in the coming years in terms of your personal life. What about your business, your commitment? Well, I guess the commitment is never, it's never going to be the end, right? Because I'm not going to stop until the climate crisis is fixed. And we know it's, it's going to take a while. I had given myself one year to complete my professional transition. And I feel like after one year, I'm at that point where I can say I'm now fully immersed uh, in the climate movement. I'm working on climate. I'm actually working for a company called Work for Climate. So I think it says it all. I think what I want to do now is making sure that I'm having an impact. So finding ways to amplify what I'm doing in my personal life, in my professional life. Finding ways to measure the impacts that I'm having is really important for me. And, and just raising more awareness. So going to keep being involved in the Climate Fresk organization, keep organizing workshops for more people to become aware of the climate crisis and just counting the number of people that I've touched at least a little bit on climate and inspired them to do a little bit more. That's what I have in mind and that's what drives me every day. I actually met you through the workshop that you organized. I participated and I really encourage everyone to keep in touch and consider participating to this workshop and perhaps even organizing them within the companies. It was great. It was really enjoyable and also very insightful. So perfect transition to my next question question where can we find and follow you and get in touch LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me it's the social network where I am most active and just send me an email because I'm always up for a conversation about climate or well pretty much everything else I will put the, all the references in the note of the episode so here we are the last 
two questions. So first of all, what is the most French and the most Australian about you, Laure? That's a good question. So the most French that I've been told is rolling my eyes and saying, and it's something that I realized doesn't exist in the English or Australian language. So you're like, I don't, I don't even know what it means, but that's, we, we do it when we don't think something is good or, or, or we don't care about something. And, and, and Australians find this very funny. And the most Australian thing is probably embracing the no worries spirit, you know, being quite relaxed or not getting stressed easily. So it's fine, mate. No worries. It's all good. And I'm sure you need it working in the field where you work. It's probably giving you a good balance. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes uh, sometimes I wish there was a little bit more, less of no worries uh, on this specific topic. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, generally more, speaking. More worries. Yeah, more worries would be nice. And finally, what is the taste of success? The taste of success for me would be the feeling that I have found my zone of impact. So again, like this really nice place where you know you're at the intersection of things that you enjoy, things that you're good at, and things that um, the climate needs or more generally that the world needs. So like kind of, yeah, finding finding my purpose and finding my zone of contribution is uh, what I would define as uh, as success. Merci beaucoup, Laure. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and felt inspired to write your own success story, whatever you want it to be. You can find all the references in the notes of the episode. I like hearing from you, so don't hesitate to share your feedback and suggest me new guests. You can find me on Instagram at youarsofrench.thepodcast or email me at youarsofrench.thepodcast at gmail.com. To finish, I would love it if you could help me make this podcast my success story by rating You Are So French, the podcast, on your favorite streaming platform. With stars, the more the better. You can also subscribe to never miss an episode and, of course, tell your friends and family about it. Merci et à bientôt!